in part number six of our series this summer, taking us through the book of Ephesians, and it's simply entitled, In Christ. Uh, the book of Ephesians is six sh- uh, short chapters, and uh, in those six short chapters, Paul, the, the, the author of this, this book, was, uh, it was actually in, uh, a letter uh, referred to as a what? Epistle, yeah, so epistle is just a little fancy, bougie word for letter, and uh, so it is a letter that Paul wrote from a Roman prison, uh, that he was in prison for the very gospel he's now writing about, and uh, in the latter part of the book of Acts, we see where Paul planted a church in uh, Ephesus, and now he is writing a letter back to that group of faith believers, and, uh, and we have the book of Ephesians. 36 times in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses the phrase or its equivalent in Christ. Because how many of you know that everything changes when you put it in Christ? When you put your marriage in Christ, your children in Christ, your calling in Christ, your hope in Christ. Everything's different and it's transformed. So we're in part six of this series. Throughout the summer, we're going through the book of Ephesians. And so uh, if you've missed one, if you've missed them all, you can always go to newlife4kokomo.org where all of our messages are archived online and you can find all the notes there as well. Well, um, so today we're going to continue in that series. This is part six. I want to remind you of a couple things that Ephesians is really broke up into two main themes. I want to show it to you real quick. The two main themes are simply this, is that the chapters one through three is belief focused. It's really focused on belief. Chapters four through six is now behavior focused. And how many of you know that belief equals behavior? I know what you believe by how you behave. And so Paul, he sets up the first three chapters all about belief. But now he's getting into some nitty gritty and he's gonna talk about how we behave. In other words, it's like this. Because of the implications of the Lord Jesus Christ, believe and behave this way. Because of chapters 1 through 3 being in Christ, now this is how you behave in Christ. And so we're going to be jumping into chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you today, you can turn to chapter 4. Many of the verses will be on the screen this morning. Um, But if you want to grab a Bible in the seat seat, uh, in front of you, that orange Bible, uh, you can use that today. Uh, I think we're going to be on page like 800 or 803. I usually write it down for you, and I didn't do that. But also, I want you to know that if you do not own a Bible, I want you to take that orange Bible in the seat in front of you. I want you to write your name in it, and that is yours, a gift to you from New Life Church. So we are in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, as you turn there, I want to tell you that uh, we're going to be talking now about not belief. We, we've done that. This is week six, your behavior. And we're starting off, I simply entitled this, Mandatory Maturity. Mandatory Maturity. You know, I did not know that uh, you could be 30, 40, 50, 60, and be immature when I was young. When I was young, I always thought that maturity came naturally. But then I learned maturity comes intentionally. 
And it wasn't until in uh, my former life when I, uh, I managed it more in the corporate world that I began to have to manage people that were old enough to be my parents and grandparents and how childish some of them could act. I was appalled. I didn't know it could happen. I thought everybody learned to be mature. And apparently not everybody can because Paul even has to write about maturity in this way. And today I hope to show you what spiritual maturity looks like, and it may be different than you think. It may be different than you think. So let me, let me remind you a couple of things. Remember, in week one, we were in Ephesians chapter one, verse 18, and this is what verse 18 said. It said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you. So we have all been, have this calling on our lives. We talked about this in week one. But now Ephesians chapter 4, where we're starting today, it opens like this. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of that calling you're called to. So in chapter 1, he says, we've all been called to this hope. There's a calling on our life. And now here's the shift from belief to behavior. And he's saying, and he's saying I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. And so that is where we're headed today. Verse 2, this is what it says. It says, be completely humble. Not just a little bit humble. Not just humble brags. Completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And he goes on to basically to tell us that this is what it means to be mature. A mature follower of Christ has these five things. Humility, you're gentle, you're patient, you bear with one another in love. Those five things I will make a case for today that that is what it means to be spiritually mature. So let's, let's tackle this first one. That maturity starts with humility. It was the first one. He says, be completely humble. Completely humble. Let me, let me share with you just a few other verses. They're, they won't be on the screen. Let me share with you just a few other verses about humility in the Bible. Proverbs 22.4, here's what it says. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Humility, in other words, humility has a payday. When you're humble, God will richly bless you and honor you in your life. And I can't tell you how many times I have tested this and found it to be true. Moments where I was accused of something that I knew wasn't true. And I chose to be humble, and God would bless me. I'll tell you a really quick story. Uh, years ago, I was, uh, I, I was a social worker. I was, uh, I was a part-time pastor on a staff at a church, but I really had three jobs. I always said, I do one job because it's my calling, I do another job because it actually pays the bills, and I do another job because it gives my family health insurance. So I was working three jobs. Uh, this is, I think, around the time Gray was born, and uh, I, was just going, I was just going bananas, just t- t- crazy busy. Well, I had, um, 
uh, a case, a social work case with, with, a, uh, with a child that uh, was actually a family member of someone in our church. Long story short, this, this, this child had been through some major trauma and was actually adopted by this family uh, that was their nephew. And so he was one of my cases. And, um, and then we, I had a situation where uh, I was leading the children's church because uh, when you're a pastor on staff, you just do whatever you're told. And so I was, you know, I was doing whatever I was told. I was leading kids' church, and this family's biological son was, was being, a, being a problem, as sometimes children are. More particularly, he was being incredibly inappropriate. So I had to deal with him ever so gently, because um, sometimes you know the temperament of parents. They didn't like the way I handled their biological child, so when they came and, uh, to uh, finally talk about this, it went on for weeks, and I told my pastor, Pastor, do you want me to go talk to them? I'll talk to them. I, I pick up their nephew every week. We work together. He says, no, no, don't. I'll call them. I'll call them. Two weeks goes by. Hey, I'll talk to them. Have you called them? You haven't called them. And so the ball dropped. The ball was being dropped by someone that was not me. And I was saying, I can address this. I can deal with this. I'll talk to the parents. They didn't like how something was handled. And he says, no, 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 I'm so sorry. I keep forgetting I'll take care of it. Time and time goes by until finally they make a meeting with us. And they're not happy that it's gone on so long. So I sit in the room, and it's not going well. It's not going well. They are, they're, they're upset. And also, I was being very proactive in trying to take care of it. But my pastor at the time was saying, no, I'll take care of it. And he was obviously dropping the ball. And I was just trying to be submissive, trying to be humble. Well, in that meeting, it didn't go well, but then at the end of it, the parent turned towards me because as the guardian of the kid that I was working with, they had the power to fire me from that case. And they said, oh, on a totally separate note, Pastor Devin, you'll no longer be working with our nephew. We're calling the agency. We want someone else to work with him. I said, on a separate note, (laughs) not connected to this. No, no, not connected to this at all. I said, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. But you have to understand, I feel, I can't help but feel that that feels vindictive of you. He says, well, it's just the way it is. And so he leaves. I go back to my office, and there's very very few things that get me upset. Uh, I feel like I have tough skin. I let things roll off my back. I was pretty upset that day because I knew that I could have helped solve this problem but my pastor was telling me, I'll take care of it, and he didn't. And so I just humbly just submitted to what was told, said of me, and, and I could have sat there and argued with that guardian of my case uh, and, and probably made a really good defense, but I didn't. I hugged him. I sent him on his way. And in that one sentence of you'll no longer be working with our nephew, I lost one-third of my income. And I also lost a case of a child through trauma that I've been working with for a year and a half. And so uh, I was like actually pretty flustered. And my pastor came in my office. He said, I'm so sorry. I did not know that was going to happen. I said, it's okay. I said, but uh, I'm going to take the rest of the day off. (laughs) And I left and I just prayed. I said, God, I don't know what to do. I feel like powerless in that situation. I said, I chose to be humble, I chose to honor, I chose to submit myself to authority, and I lost. But I ended that prayer with, but I trust you. I trust you. 
The next day I get a phone call from that agency and says, hey, do you have availability to pick up another case? I said, I just, my availability just opened up yesterday. They were like, fantastic. These are actually brothers and we need you to take them both. And so uh, not only on a more practical side that I, I first lost a third of my income, but the next day I took a phone call that doubled what I lost. And you see, and I just give God really the praise that when you live humbly, maturity starts with humility. And Proverbs says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Because the Bible also says that pride goes before the fall. That doesn't sound like honor and life at all. But if you humble yourself, God will lift you up. In other words, God will exalt you to a high place if you humble yourself down here. But if you try to put yourself up here, what, God will humble you down here. It's a principle of the kingdom of God that if you apply to your life, I'm telling you, it works. Proverbs 11, 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. As we discussed earlier, in hot topic times of our country, humility is best. Pride will bring disgrace. Psalm 149.4, this is what it says. For the Lord takes delight in his people, and he crowns the humble with victory. You think victory is winning an argument with somebody. No, victory is getting crowns from God. You think victory is proving your point. You think victory is standing your ground. Sometimes victory is just being humble, and God in the background says, good job. You actually win if you're willing to lose. Philippians 2.3, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Others includes anybody that's not you. Because the Bible also talks about how even, it says, even the pagans greet one another. In other words, even the, you, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank with even the worst person in the world can be kind to someone who's kind to them. But can you be kind to someone that's not kind to you? Can you be generous to someone even though they'll never, ever do anything in return for you? That's the kind of humility that takes incredible maturity. It's to be kind to people that will spit in your face and not take revenge. That takes great maturity. I would argue that it takes greater spiritual maturity to have humility like that than it does to be at church every week, lift your hands in praise, and give in the offering. That's easy compared to having to be humble when you don't want to be. Maturity starts humility. The second thing the, the scripture says is be completely humble and gentle. So the second thing I want you to know is that maturity always moves to the meek. 
Listen, pride blinds you of your weaknesses and to the strengths of others. If you're prideful, you don't think you're flawed. You don't think you're weak. And because of pride, you won't be able to see that other people have something to offer, even when you disagree. It takes true maturity and humility to know that I'm weak and that I can even see the strengths in you despite your flaws. I'm so glad that God, who is unflawed, looked at flawed humanity and still said, you're worth it to me. I'll send my son for you. So pride blinds you of your weaknesses and to the strengths of others. Now let's move on. Maturity moves to be meek. The scripture said, be completely humble and gentle. Many translations say, be completely meek. So gentleness and meekness are very similar. To be meek, it means to depend on nothing but the Lord for security in this life and that he is our refuge from trouble. Meek people or gentle people are fully committed to God's ways. They are more concerned about God's work and God's people than about what might happen to them personally. You see how meekness can be even related with humility. In other words, a meek person is willing to take one on the chin. And good leadership does. Is there anything I've learned about leadership is you can't please everybody and you can't argue your way to please everybody and that sometimes as a leader, you'll be accused of things, you'll be uh, criticized for things, and sometimes you just have to take it on the chin and keep doing what you know you're called to do. I would say it takes greater maturity to be quiet than it is to argue. Psalm 37.11 says, but the meek will inherit the land and rejoice and enjoy peace and prosperity. So in other words, if you can take on the disposition of meekness, you can enjoy peace. Because meekness is learning how to not allow things to bother you. Because you're meek. Now consider this. Watch this. Meekness is the disposition of the soul that makes one unwilling to provoke others and is not easily provoked or offended by the flaws of others. This is what it is to be meek. It doesn't mean weak. Meek is not weak. Meek is fully committed to the things of God. But it does take meekness in your conviction to say, I will not be someone to I am unwilling to provoke other people. I'm also not easily provoked. And that kind of meekness takes maturity. The maturity that Paul is talking about. That kind of gentleness, that kind of meekness does not come by accident. It comes intentionally when you work on becoming more meek in your life. So again, Ephesians 2 said, be completely humble, completely gentle or meek, 
And then it says, be patient. And other translations say it this way, long-suffering, which is patience. So maturity learns long-suffering. The word long-suffering has two implications. The first implication is it's long. The second implication is that it hurts. So patience is pain that lasts a long time. I would propose that one of the most dangerous prayers you could ever pray is God make me patient. (laughs) It's going to hurt for a while. Be completely humble and gentle, meek, and be patient. Long-suffering. Patience. Patience is the personal bearing of injury without seeking revenge. Being patient with a loved one means they may assault you with their words and you don't do it back. It's like King David when he would play his guitar before King Saul and then King Saul would get mad and jealous because people liked David more than he, but he was king. and He a shepherd boy. And although playing his guitar brought Saul great peace, his anger would rise up within him and he'd reach for his spear and try to pin David to the wall. And constantly David would have spears thrown at him by King Saul for no reason other than he just couldn't, didn't like the kid. But David was patient, gentle, meek, and humble. And David had to learn the art of spear dodging and the maturity to never pick up the spear and throw it back. This is long-suffering. When we bear personal injury and don't take revenge, it's patience. So listen, married people. Why are you laughing? In a marriage, a marriage takes long-suffering. That sometimes we bear personal injury without revenge for the sake and health of a lasting relationship with our spouses. So I want to encourage you today that when our spouse may have a bad day or you may have a bad day, sometimes it's, it takes maturity to bear that injury without revenge so you can become stronger. It takes patience to raise children. Mm-hmm. I got three. My twins are about to be 14 and my youngest is 10. It takes patience. It takes long suffering. In other words, as children learn and grow and make mistakes, it takes the maturity of a caring adult to bear that weight on behalf of them and show them an example of what it means to grow and mature. Otherwise, we just have tiny versions of exactly how we act in private. It takes maturity to control your voice, control your tone, control your words, control your behavior, and model for those that lack maturity. 
Did you hear me? To model for those that lack maturity, because how else are they going to learn it? Maturity is learning long-suffering. Sometimes it hurts for a while, but that's patience. It is a virtue. So this kind of long-suffering that we're talking about, bearing personal injury without revenge, this kind of long-suffering, it takes maturity. And maturity takes intentionality. So the scripture said, be completely humble and gentle or meek. Be patient, long-suffering. And then it says, bearing with one another. So maturity is bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. The word bearing, we use this word often. Uh, The word bearing means it, it is... Bearing is the manner in which you conduct yourself, uh, including your posture and gestures. And that's right from the dictionary. Right from the dictionary. Bearing is the manner that you conduct yourself in conduct, your posture, your gestures. In other words, bearing with one another is you control what you say, you control your verbal and nonverbal communication. Control your body, you know. Uh, sometimes uh, my wife reminds me uh, in certain times, she says, you should have done a better job controlling your face. And I'm like, did I look a certain way? She's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I was like, oh no. You know, sometimes as a pastor you hear some crazy things. I'm like, I don't know what I was, uh, I don't know, but she's like, you need to control your face. I'm like, you're right. Bearing with one another, controlling our verbal and nonverbal communication, <laughs> conducting yourselves. Uh, for instance, uh, you, you've probably said this, I've said this, uh, maybe when I, I'm about to try something, or even sometimes here on Sunday mornings, as I'm, I might be trying to like articulate something. I may say something like this. I may say, okay, bear with me for a moment, right? In other words, bear with me as I flesh this out. Bear with me as I work on this. And what I'm asking you, or what you would be asking someone if you ask them to bear with you, you're saying, okay, I want you to conduct yourself and control yourself just with the understanding that I'm just trying to figure this out. So, so like, give me some grace. Bear with me. Bearing with one another is just that. Giving people grace as they work it out. Giving people that grace that we're going to bear, I'm going to bear with you until we get you where you need to go. That, 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 like, like, you're welcome here, and we're going we're gonna to bear with one another in our troubles. We're going to bear with one another in our immaturities. We're going to bear with one another so we can disciple you. In other words, we're going to help you learn to follow the ways of God. We're going to bear with one another. So this, so therefore, Paul writes, bear with one another. He is signaling to us that it is imperative that we never cease to love others on account of their flaws. Naturally, people begin to lose the love when they see their flaws. And you say, no, 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 no. Just because people are flawed, make mistakes, and have failures, don't lose the love. Bear with one another. 
bear with one another. Never cease to love others on, on account of their flaws. Never cease to love people on account of their opposing views. Never cease to lose the love for people with alternative lifestyles. So to bear with one another, to conduct yourself in language and body language, it takes great maturity. It takes maturity. Then the scripture said, uh, do, I'm sorry, it said be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. In what? In love. Maturity is rooted in love. In love. Listen to this. It's not on the screen, but 1 John chapter 4. It says, this is love. Let me tell you, people are looking for love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us first and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 1 John 4.20, it says, Whoever claims to love God, but hates a brother or sister, is a liar. I mean, that's just straightforward. That's just like, that's just, that's just hard. We don't like to call people liars. That just seems a little rude. But this how, that's how serious the gospel is. If you claim to love God but hate anybody, you're a liar. The love of God isn't in you then because then you, you haven't fully understood just how deep and how wide and how vast the love of God is that you could ever hate somebody. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen with their own eyes cannot love God whom they've not seen. Boom. So to love like this, to love like that, it takes maturity. And maturity takes intentionality. Now here's why I want to give you a shift in our thought of spiritual maturity. And if you've been around me long enough, you've heard me say this, but, but, but I'm going to say it again. And that is that spiritual maturity is the consistent application of elementary things, not the occasional application of extraordinary things. But pastor, I laid hands on that dude and he recovered. Fantastic. Treat your wife better. Pastor, I led that worship song. Everybody had their hands in the air. That's awesome. Stop gossiping. Try. Because real spiritual maturity is consistently applying some of these very simple truths. Humility. Patience. The other things. Being meek, long-suffering, bearing with one another, rooted in love. That's real spiritual maturity. I want you to consider something. I want you to consider that God used a donkey to prophesy in the Bible. 
God used a donkey to prophesy. And it seems as though getting a donkey to prophesy is easier than getting people to be nice. But one, we say, is the epitome of spiritual maturity that I prophesy. And listen, Paul says, you all should prophesy. Like, you should all seek that. I want you to consider that King Saul prophesied. King Saul. King Saul wasn't a very, very nice man. But God used him to prophesy. That's because it's God's word when we prophesy. But how do you do your word? That's maturity. I'd also say that what is easier? Speaking in tongues or controlling yours? What's easier? I would, I would propose it's far harder to control your tongue when you would even be right in what you would say in an argument or in a conflict. It takes maturity to know when to speak and when to be quiet. That takes maturity. You see, the prophecy is up to the Lord, but maturity, it's up to you. God could use a donkey. He used King Saul. But the word is the Lord's, but maturity is yours. Ephesians 4.3 then, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. May that be said of New Life Church, that the people of our church, although diverse, of all ages, races, different thought, that New Life Church is a church that will fight and make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The means of unity begins with personal maturity. I can't make you mature. Maturity is a personal work that each and every one of us must work through. And it goes beyond over-spiritualizing it. It goes to what Paul is saying. Be completely humble. Gentle. Patient. Bearing with one another. In love. Ephesians, it goes on. It's not on the screen. Verse 11, it says, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So God gives these gifts. He gives these offices to the church so that we be unified and so you grow up. But people will buck leadership. They won't, they, people will listen. I'm sure people read this letter from Paul and go, not me. He says, no, God gave these offices to the church so that we can be built up in the knowledge of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants 
because we grew up tossed back and forth by the waves. In the very next verse, this is what it says. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, mature, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. I think this is uh, very relevant to the things that we've been speaking of today and very relevant of the news of our nation is to remember to speak the truth in love. Nobody will know the truth unless someone speaks the truth, but they won't hear your truth if it's not in love. I want to leave you with this thought too on this, and that is that speaking the truth in love and loving to speak the truth are two different things. In other words, you can say the right thing in the wrong way. In other words, you can be right but wrong at the top of your voice. Speaking the truth in love is not the same as you just love to speak the truth. There's an attitude difference between those two. And I think, I think as mature followers of Jesus, we can get this right. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and uh, we're, as we do, we're going to sing one last song, and I pray that the Lord would uh, just deal with us in our own personal way. And I think that this is a strong message for today. This is a strong message for our church that as we move forward with great unity, we continue reaching people uh, with the love of God, that, is, that this type of maturity is mandatory. And this type of maturity is not rooted in the type of religiosity you wish to see in our church. This type of maturity is rooted in behavior. This type of maturity is, is rooted in humility towards one another a meekness that is, is not to provoke others, not to provoke others with gossip, not to provoke others with our ideals, but also a meekness that says, I will not be provoked because I love you, because we are united in Christ. I won't be provoked. I'm not going to get emotionally all upset about stuff anymore. I'm going to choose to be meek and gentle. And also maturity in being a long-suffering church that we will learn that kind of patience with one another and in our personal lives as well and, and bearing with one another. Listen, I wouldn't be here today as a called minister of the gospel if it wasn't for people that just, they bore with me. Like, they were bearing with me through my teenage years. They put up with me. They were patient with me. They loved me. And it was the local church that brought me up through those days of my life of rebellion maturity always being rooted in love. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Father, oh, you're the best dad I've ever had. And I know that, God, that you're calling, uh, you call all of, every single one of us, Lord, to a life after your example. And that the maturity that we speak of today, it doesn't come by accident. It comes through intentionality. And Lord, I think that when 
nations go through divisions like ours have seen over the years, it takes a unified, mature church that can withstand these things in in our culture and world today. May our message be rooted in love. May our convictions be clear. May our compassion be evident. Lord, I just pray that this morning, that if there's anybody in this place this morning, that, that one of these five things struck a chord with them and they said, man, I need, I need to grow in that area today. Then God, I pray that you would give us the strength and courage to get intentional about it because maturity is an inside job. It's, it's a personal. No one else can do it for us. We have to choose it for ourselves. And really, God, so that we can honor others because we love God, we love people, And we love to share God with people. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.